morning, church. Good morning, Austin Stone. It's good to see you. My name is Ross. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at the Austin Stone, and it's always just my great joy and tremendous privilege to be able to open these ancient scriptures before you and to be able to expound upon them, um, albeit in a limited capacity together with you this morning. Happy New Year. Um, I'm not sure what the, the, the cutoff point is at which we have to stop saying that um, in a new year, but I know I, in my heart we haven't reached it yet. Um, um, and so maybe in the next week, but this week it's still appropriate to say Happy New Year. My prayer for you, my prayer for us in the year ahead is that you would know him, that you would enjoy him, that you would trust him more than you ever have before. And so if you're new with us here in the church, uh, that's our desire, to see people growing in God. We, we don't want to leave you stationary. And so wherever you are in your journey of faith, my prayer is that God would move you forward by the power of the Holy Spirit in your love and enjoyment and trust of him in the year ahead. I can be something of a bit of a, a cynical seeming chap, right? It's something to do with growing up in the, in the colonies under Her Majesty's reign um, and those sorts of things. Right, lots of stoicism out there in the colonies, um, and so we tend to think everything turns out terribly, um, and then we're moderately surprised when things turn out half decent. And and so um, uh, it's been an adjustment uh, into an American life where everything's up and to the right. Right, everything is awesome. It was famously said on one of my favorite movies. Um, but everything's always awesome all the time, which really erodes the meaning of the word. Just by the way, um, uh, my, my friend who works with me says, "When will you use the word awesome?" I said, "Before Jesus." Um, that will be awesome, that will be worthy of awe. Everything else is like fine. Um, uh, But people are sometimes surprised because they know that about me, right? And then they're sometimes surprised to actually find out that I actually love New Year. I love New Year's resolutions. I love all the renewed optimism. I love all the renewed hope um, because you get a whole batch of new mercies, right? And so Lamentations tells us we've got a whole little group of new mercies that are available for every day. But now imagine a whole batch of the year's mercies rolling up, right? Now I'm burning through them pretty quickly, but they're there, right? And you've got this whole year ahead of you of new mercies. And so you get this renewed hope for change. There's nothing supernaturally powerful about this time of year and its ability to change us. It's just another day on what was an arbitrary calendar formation, but we have hope that somehow in the year ahead we'll be better versions of ourselves than we were in the year behind, right? Uh, Counting Crows uh, had a great song called The Long December. It's been a long December and there's reason to believe that maybe this year will be better than the last, right? And it's a a kind of cycle we find ourselves in most new Januaries. And, and, And I love it because Hope for change is actually a Christian virtue. Uh, Sometimes in kind of our reform circles where we like to focus on how bad we are, we tend to kind of poo-poo kind of um, resolutions and those kind of things because we're like, just remember you're a wretched sinner and you won't do any of these things, right? And we comfort ourselves with that while we eat our third bucket of ice cream. Um, And right, because we just go like, oh, you're a wretch. And it's like, I know, all right? But I want to be a slightly better wretch. And that's actually a collision of Christianity that's quite unique. We know we are fallen. We know we are frail, we know we are sinners, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually have hope that we can be more Christ-like sinners in the year ahead, right? Because he's changing us from one degree of glory into another until we meet him on that final day. And so what I would say to you as you make plans this year is, yeah, dream big, right? Plan well, and then have lots of grace for yourself, 
when you fail, because you will, because remember the rich part, right? And so uh, there, there will be some failure. Or what about me? Well, I've got like a, a massive list of resolutions. I do it every year just because I like to laugh at myself. Um, and uh, I, my wife gets a kick out of it as well. She's like, oh, so this is the year all of this is happening. Oh, cool. Um, haven't seen it in any of the 20 previous that we've been together, but this, this is the one. I get it, right? But I love to set these high aspirations. But one of the aspirations I've had uh, in my spiritual life in the year ahead is that I want a more meaningful and more devoted prayer life. I think that would be a desire of many of yours. If you're a follower of Christ, that ought to be a desire of yours really every year, right? Because prayer is so essential in what it means to walk with God in this life, to talk with him, to have him talk back to us, to be in relationship um, of loving, knowing together with him. Prayer is the mechanism through which we access that relationship. And so it should be something that all of us, regardless of whether we shot the lights out right in 2023 in our prayer life, or whether it's just like a desert, we should all want more of it, right? I've always had quite an organic prayer life. I kind of pray throughout the day and have been quite self-righteous about that at points. I pray without ceasing. You have a prayer time? That's cute, right? Um, But really, it was an excuse for the fact that I didn't have a prayer time, right? And so it became this like weird religious argument. And so I'm praying that I'd be more devoted and disciplined in this because what a glorious thing. You get to speak to your maker (laughs) and he listens and he answers And in the busyness of life where we're constantly bombarded with inaccurate information, we get to hold court with the maker of the universe who knows it all and is delighted by our approach. Oh, friends, we should all want to pray more. Uh, What a wonderful mystery, the gift of grace that it is that we could pray. But there's a danger, right? There's a danger that we turn this into some kind of religious success metric. And then we actually take prayer and we make it the opposite of what it's supposed to be. Right? We make it some kind of declaration of our own righteousness when in fact prayer is a declaration of weakness. It's a declaration of dependence. It's an I can't do posture in a very I can do sort of world. And it's an opportunity for once for us to lay down that self-imposed mantle of rulers of the universe at the feet of the true ruler of the universe and say, you're in control of this. I am not. And so here I am before you. In weakness. Well, where do I get that? Well, there's many models of prayer in the scriptures, but one of my favorite comes from King David. It's in Psalm 143. I actually taught on this passage uh, three years ago, but failed to implement it um, in any kind of meaningful way, and I'm guessing uh, so did you. And so uh, we're just going to try again and see if the Spirit um, would unlock some stuff for us. But once you read with me, this marvelous ancient prayer, Psalm 143. And just stop for a second, because if you've grown up in church, you're like, okay, now's the part where we read the Bible, right? and I get to push back with all my earbuds and excuses for why I'm not going to change anything. Right? This is sacred, ancient scripture. Isn't that remarkable? King David penned this thousands of years ago, walking with the same God that you and I get to walk with, going through some of the same things, albeit in a very different context to what we're going through. And so, uh, by the power of the Spirit, why don't you just let these words hit you a little fresh, a little different this morning. Don't just gloss over them. I'll read the whole thing. I've got four observations for us this morning. Psalm 143. Lord, hear my prayer. 
In your faithfulness, listen to my plea. And in your righteousness, answer me. Do not bring your servant into judgment. For no one alive is righteous in your sight. See the posture of David. He's not saying like, hey, Lord, answer me because I've been excellent this last week. He's saying, answer me because I have no other option. (laughs) I have no other option. For the enemy has pursued me, crushing me to the ground, making me live in darkness like those long dead. We don't sing many songs like this in church, do we? These are the ancient songs of the saints. The lowest of the lows get recorded for us as well. My spirit is weak within me. My heart is overcome with dismay. Friends, you see how we try to resolve things too quickly? If one of our spiritual leaders stood up and said, my heart is overcome with dismay, we'd put them on sabbatical, right? We'd send them to counseling. We'd be like, are you you okay? This is part of the human experience. And it's part of what we bring before our maker, part of our reality. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all you have done. I reflect on the work of your hands. Look at the contrast. This is so clever in the Hebrew. I reflect on the work of your hands, making stars. (laughs) And what's the next line? I spread out my hands to you. What are my hands made? Nothing. (laughs) And so I come to the hands that made everything. My hands made nothing. I'm like parched land before you. And if you feel spiritually dry, King David gets you. Like parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Don't hide your face from me, or I will be like those going down to the pit. Let me experience your faithful love in the morning, for I trust in you. Reveal to me the way I should go because I appeal to you. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord. I come to you for protection. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Oh, I love this request. Maybe a theme request for 2024 for your families. May your gracious spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, Lord, let me live. In your righteousness, deliver me from trouble. And in your faithful love, destroy my enemies. Wipe out all those who attack me. (laughs) Have you ever prayed that? For I am your servant. Let me pray. Four observations. Father God, I come to you now. Please hear me. Hear us. In your faithful love. In your righteousness, when you answer us. As your people, we come before you today acknowledging our own weakness, (laughs) but also acknowledging your tremendous strength. And we ask, Father, that you would meet with us, that you would speak to us, that you would transform us, that you would change us, that our affections for you would go up in the year ahead, that our devotion to you would increase, that our love for you would fill to overflowing, Father, that you would become what you can only be, which is the center point of our very lives. May this be the year where some in this room who have been dancing around the fringes of faith, pseudo-religion, pseudo-Christianity, may they, may they fall in love with you and, and may they come to know your faithfulness and your mercy and your righteousness and as a result would they respond by offering what is the only logical thing to offer in response their whole lives.
Make that true of them. Make that true of this stubborn sinner. I'm empty-handed before you this morning, Lord. Won't you hear us in your righteousness, in your faithfulness, in your son's name we pray. Amen and amen. Prayer is what is referred to as one of the disciplines, a habit of a spiritual life for the Christian. Now, like many of you, like most of you, if the sales numbers are to be believed, I've been reading James Clear's Atomic Habits, right? Um, which I thought was going to turn me into a physicist, but it's turned me into nothing other than a more frustrated version of myself, right? Um, but he has these ideas of how you make a habit stick on how you do more of it, right? You need, to, you need to have a plan. You need to have thought processes and repeated behaviors so that you can do more benefit, beneficial things and do uh, less of the less beneficial things, right? You've got to make it obvious and attractive and easy and satisfying, he tells us, right? These are the things that will make you more likely to repeat healthy things. But if prayer is a truly healthy, life-giving thing in the life of the believer, what would make us repeat it more? What would make us pray more in 2024? What would be the thought processes that would help us to overcome the things that we replace prayer with? Right? The things where um, we just null, uh, nullify and dull and quiet the still small voice right? and, and bombard it with more and more of the world and then wonder why we've turned into such anxious people. Uh, well, what would be good thoughts for us to remember as we strive to pray more in 2024? The first one from Psalm 143 is this. We pray more when we remember who God is. Now, that might seem really, really obvious, but it's a a recurring theme throughout the scriptures that part of what it requires for us to approach God more is to remember who we are approaching in the first place and to remember what he is like. Because when you don't know his nature, even if you know his power, if you don't know his nature, you're going to be less likely to approach him because you're not sure on what kind of reception you're going to receive. What does David do? He anchors his hope, he anchors his approach in God's nature. Uh, Read verse 1 with me again. He says, Lord, hear my prayer. Now, I love the boldness of that, right? There's confidence. Lord, I'm I'm asking you, hear me. Why? In your faithfulness. Listen to my plea. In your righteousness, answer me. What does David root his hope in? Uh, What is the possibility that the maker of the universe will hear him? What is the possibility that the maker of the universe will answer him? Rooted in, it's rooted in the faithfulness of God and it's rooted in the righteousness of God. Uh, God listens, David says, because he is faithful. And David's tested this out, and David's learned this from a young boy. He says he looks back and he remembers the days of old. Friends, do you know that God is faithful to listen to you? Is there anything as enticing uh, as a good listener? (laughs) Have you ever experienced one? If you're sitting next to your significant other, you have to nod, right? Um, Because otherwise it's going to lead to some counseling that you hadn't uh, planned for in the the 2024 budget, right? Uh, But have you ever experienced that magic moment where you're just like, someone's like listening to me. They're really listening and they're understanding and they're not listening just to interrupt. They're not listening just to supersede my story. Oh, oh, you broke your arm. I broke all of the bones in my body. 
right? And you have friends like this, it's the worst thing, right? No matter what you tell them, it's going to come back. I won the lottery twice yesterday. I won it four times on Friday. It's like, this is ridiculous, right? Just listen to me. I'm trying to tell you something, right? God isn't like that. No, he's faithful to listen, David says. Well, how can we be certain of his faithfulness to listen? Well, we can be certain of his faithfulness to listen when we go back and study what he has spoken, You see, he doesn't need to interrupt us with speech because he has spoken so much. And so we know how faithful he is in accordance with his word and in accordance with what he has revealed to us in his son. Uh, I could do hundreds of scriptures this morning. Let me just give you a few. Just a handful on how God listens to us. I'm going to read these off the screen. I should know these off by heart, um, but they're going to be from a slightly different translation from what I study in, right? 2 Samuel 22 verse 7 says, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I called, and from his temple he heard my voice. And my cry came to his ears. God is faithful. He listens to us. We cry out, and he responds. Next one, Eli. Psalms 4, uh, 3 says, the Lord hears when I call to him. Psalm 66, uh, 19 says, truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Uh, if you go into the New Testament, John 9, uh, 31 is such a remarkable text. It says, if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. John eleven forty one, 41, uh, which is the, the story of the raising of Lazarus. I love the story. Look at what Jesus says, right? He teaches them in this moment. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, right? Now you might go, well, he listens to Jesus, obviously. Look what he says next. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. He's going, like, I want them to know that you hear me and I want them to know that you will hear them. That's why I'm going to do this miraculous thing, so that they might know that you're a listening God. 1 John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Isn't that astonishing? Friends, when you pray, listen, God listens to you. Now, in our physical experience of that, I often hear people say, I'm so frustrated. It feels like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I know what it feels like to be like it, but it's not true. (laughs) He hears you. He listens to you. In his faithfulness, he does that. But listen, it's more than that. Because anyone could be a good listener. You could um, get counseling, which maybe you should. Um, I, I do, right? And it's a helpful part of my life. But part of what counseling is, is you're paying someone to be a good listener, right? It's not necessary that they're going to have good advice for everything that you're going to explore in your life. That that person doesn't exist, right? But they're going to hear you, and they're going to help you articulate what you're feeling in the right kind of way, right? But what you also need, then, is someone who can help you. (laughs) You need someone who can listen to you, but then you need someone who can give you an answer that can actually unlock things for you. David says, not only does God listen, but God answers. And what does he root that to? God's righteousness. What does he say? Verse one, in your righteousness, answer me, right? He, he connects that to the, the rightness of God. So listen, friends, listen. God always answers prayers. Always, always. And his answer, listen, is always right because he is absolutely righteous. 
And so when he answers you, yes, that means that knowing what he knows and seeing what he sees, it is the right thing to, to give you that prayer request. When he answers no, that means knowing what he knows and seeing what he sees, it is absolutely the right thing to say no to that request as badly as you might want it. When he says wait, what that means is knowing what he knows and seeing what he sees, it is absolutely the right thing to grow you in perseverance in the season and to have you wait for the thing that you so long for. But he is always right. Always right. Friends, this ought to increase our confidence because it means that we have a tender God who listens to us in faithfulness. He listens, doesn't interject doesn't correct you can bring wherever you are to him right he listens and then he answers and what he answers is always right but friends we forget right because we forget who God is and so like David what do we need to do we need to remember look at verse 5 he says I remember the days of old friends I, I find it a lot more difficult to be anxious about how God might move in the future when I remember how faithful he has been in the past. But I have to stop and remember. I have to stop and remember. And if I don't have um, a, a memory bank from our own life that's sufficient in this task, then I have to stop and remember and look at his work across millennia to, to, to millions of saints. I remember the days of old. I meditate I think about, I stop, I pause, and I think about all you have done. I reflect on the work of your hands. David remembers God's faithfulness. David meditates on God's faithfulness. David reflects on God's kindness to him. And what does that do? It emboldens him to approach God in prayer. What do you think about when you think about God? If you don't see him rightly as a faithful listener, and if you don't see him rightly as a righteous answerer, then your prayer life is going to stagnate because you, there's no desire to enter into that because you don't know what you're going to get back. But when you remember what he is actually like, when you meditate on it, when you reflect on his faithfulness, oh my goodness, who would not want to speak to a father like this? All right. We'll pray more when we remember who God is. Second thing, we will pray more <laughs> when we have an honest and open awareness of who we are. So big picture of God. Remember his faithfulness, his righteousness, but then remember who you are in your approach as well. That's why I love Psalm 143. The whole thing is a plea. The whole thing is an act of humility and desperation and dependence on God by David, right? Friends, here's what I think we do with prayer. We make prayer an activity, right, for those who are lifted on high horses of spiritual superiority. Actually, prayer is supposed to be the bedrock of those who are stooped low on bended knees of humility. When we look at biblical responses in prayer, when we look at prayers that God loves to answer, when we see God meeting with people in magical ways, what we see is people in deep humility, on bended knees, in acts of weakness, people who have come to the end of themselves. I was reading um, a study on prayer released in 2016, which is fascinating if you're a nerd, and I am. And so I was reading it, and it was fascinating. Uh, it revealed some really interesting things. It revealed, it was an American study, it revealed that Americans pray more than you think, right? But here, if you dig into the data, here's the really interesting thing. 
Atheists pray more than they care to admit. Theists, followers of God, believers in God, pray way less than they pretend to. And so everyone's praying, right? People in the church are praying way less than they should. Atheists are praying way more than they should, right? Because everyone has an understanding at some point. As, as I run out of my own runway of capability, I need to be met with something bigger than myself. Isn't it interesting that there is a humbling posture, even in the atheist who says, I'm going to run out of my own runway, that doesn't exist in the life of the, the people of faith who think their runway is much longer than it is. They don't pray because they think they're doing good. Even the atheist prays when he thinks he's not. And so friends, in humility, we ought to be people who remember our own weakness, right? The the hindrances to our prayer is often religious community because we think prayer is is a hallmark of greater performance. And so we think that what it requires from us is greater pretense when what it requires is the opposite. Prayer is not the duty of the spiritually elite, prayer is the delight of the continually, incessantly, spiritually weak. Didn't Jesus give us a great example? In the story of the the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, right? One prays like a holy roller. Put your hand against the screen, right? It's like a magic moment, right? He could have taken two offerings and people would have given their life savings to that cat, right? And then the other is a tax collector who has taken people's life savings, right? Is a sinner, is there before the Lord and he says, have mercy on me. And what does Jesus say? One goes away hurt. The disciples are like, I know which one. He's like, no, you do not. No, you do not. That's the one who comes in weakness, and and independence, and an understanding of their own inability, that one is heard in heaven. The one who waxes lyrical because they think they've got this thing covered, that one isn't heard. Isn't that remarkable? We said God hears. Well, what's one of the things that that would stop him hearing us? Pride. (laughs) Independence. You know what's another thing that would stop him from from hearing your prayers? Your lack of prayers. (laughs) What do the scriptures say? You don't get because you don't ask, right? My kids are like, that's a verse. It actually is, right? But it's not how you think it is, right? But, but if you aren't coming before him in prayer, how do you expect to be heard? Friends, prayer is the greatest act of humility. It is a can't-do declaration in an increasingly can-do world. That's why it's different from the world's view of just mindfulness, right? I was chatting to a friend this, this week who's is not a Christian, and him and I are talking about some wellness stuff, right? Trying to make this old body live a bit longer. I'm not sure why. Um, it's going to give me 10 extra years in my 80s. I actually want the years in the 20s back. Um, but apparently we're all trying to live to 100, so I'm like, okay, let's do this, right? And he's helping me on some of this stuff. And so he would talk to me about like mindfulness, and I'd be like, pray. And he'd be like, mindfulness. I'd be like, pray. He'd be like, mindfulness, right? And he'd be like, okay, can we call it like uh, prayerful mindfulness or something? I'm like, sure, let's do that, right? But it's the difference. The world says, oh, no, you need to stop and reflect upon yourself. You need to go into your inner world. Right? And see what's uh, in turmoil and tumult in there. Right? But prayer says, you don't stop there. You don't stay there. Because the solution to that brokenness is outside of you. So yes, you go in and you recognize, oh my goodness, I have such deep need. But then you look up and you go out and you take it to the one who can fix it. Look at David, just briefly, with me. I don't have notes today, by the way. It's the first time I'm trying this. So we could be three hours. Um, anything could happen. Right? Uh, 
verse 2. Look at what David says. Do not bring your servant into judgment. For no one alive is righteous. Right? No one alive is righteous in your sight. The enemy has pursued me, crushing me to the ground, making me live in darkness like those long dead. Our oh, friends, you can pray like this. My spirit is weak within me. My heart is overcome with dismay. I had a moment like this earlier this week and just journaled it out. You know how liberating it was to just write my prayer? My heart is overcome with dismay. And everything in my religious spirit wants to put a little bow on it, right? Everything in my religious spirit wants to resolve it. But (laughs) everything will be fine. No, no, my heart is overcome with dismay. And so please hear me in my weakness. This requires a confidence in God because there's no confidence in self here. From David. Uh, look at verse 6. He says, I spread out my hands to you. I'm like parched land before you. Selah. You know what that means? Stop. Pause. David interjects there. He goes like, I'm like a spiritual wasteland. Think about it. No, no. Think about it. Stop for a second. Don't just brush over it, right? Answer me quickly, Lord. Why? My spirit fails. Don't hide your face from me or I'll be like those going down into the pit. Right? Common language for the ancients of, I will become so depressed and so despondent, there'll be no way back for me. Unless you intervene. Unless you intervene. My goodness. I don't want to presume you're like me. <laughs> but you're probably similar in some ways, right? You just sound a little different. Um, But when I reflect back on my 45 years of life, I realize I have spent the vast majority of that pretending <laughs> in some way to be better than I am. Prayer is the one opportunity we get to just lay that down. God knows anyway. He knows anyway. And so we can drop the act and we can come to him as we really are. Okay, if you're going to pray more in 2024, you're going to have to remember who God is. You're going to have to remember who you are rightly. You're going to have to remember it rightly. Can I just say this? Can I add this as well? Lest I become uh, like my Reformed uh, brothers and sisters that I've already critiqued in this sermon, right? That part of remembering who you are is, yes, your weakness, but also your belovedness. <laughs> And so when you come to the Lord, you are weak, you are empty-handed, your spirit can be in dismay, you can be like a parched land, and you're beloved. (laughs) Remember both of those things, and you will pray more. Third one is, if you're going to pray more, you're going to have to consider your great enemy. Consider your great enemy. Look at verse 9 with me. It says, rescue me from my enemies, Lord. I I come to you for protection. Down to verse 11. For your name's sake, Lord, let me live. In your righteousness, deliver me from trouble. And in your faithful love, destroy my enemies. Wipe out all those who attack me, for I am your servant. Now, these kind of prayers for vengeance and victory of our enemies feel strange to our modern and postmodern sensibilities. And part of that is good. We actually have a New Testament witness that teaches us how to pray for our enemies. And it's actually not like this, right? And so we have the fullness of the revelation of Christ that David had yet to experience. He knew it was coming, right? And so uh, we are taught Jesus comes into the world and says, no, no, 
pray for your enemies, right? Love them, bless them, serve them. Totally different posture of the kingdom from, from what David had experienced. But in addition to that, friends, part of it is just our kind of cultural moment in that we don't experience as many physical enemies as David experienced, right? I know some of you are like, America's getting real dangerous, right? I had to put a ring camera up. Like, has anyone tried to kill you with a sword today? Like, not today. Yesterday? No, no, actually, I'm on quite a long streak of zero killings with swords, right? David didn't have to go very far back in days to where someone was trying to kill him. He's, he's probably on the run when he writes this. We're not sure of the, of the circumstances surrounding uh, this particular psalm, but he's probably on the run for his life in that season, right? And so people are literally trying to kill him. And so he has these manifest enemies that are a very real threat to his physical, his emotional, and his spiritual flourishing, right? They're, they're very, very real to him. We also have great and real enemies. We have just pushed it away from ourselves in lives of comfort, and we have just nullified the sense of threat in a life that's basically practically atheistic in a very spiritual world, the Bible tells us. Because the Bible warns us that we have ongoing enemies. Whether we have physical ones or not, we have ongoing enemies. The way that the ancients have explained this through the life of the church is that every Christian has enemies approaching them in at least three forms. That means you today as well. Uh, What what three forms do, do we see the enemy approaching us trying to diminish our flourishing in God? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the three forms that the church has held right in its orthodoxy. Is like every Christian has to fight on at least three levels. The world, which is going to lie to us, right, continually about what the good life is, right, continually, continually, all the time saying, this is it, go get it, you deserve this, this is the good life, it's counter to everything you've read in that book, but this is how you're experiencing experiencing flourishing pleasure, joy, go get it, right, the world. Uh, Secondly, though, it's not just out there, this is the problem with now just forming religious communities that protect us from the world, because the enemy is also in us, in our own flesh, We have this fallen nature, as beloved as we are, and as full of potential as we are, there is a fallenness to us that makes us continue to do the things we ought not to do and and prevents us from doing the things that we know that we should do, right? Who will rescue me from this body of flesh? We, we, We fight from within. And then thirdly, if that's not bad enough, you also have the devil and his servants, right? And their works and effects. Now, I know at this point that some of you go like, that starts to get just a little freaky deaky, right? But if you think about it for a second, it helps me to explain my life. It helps me to explain my life. I've given in to so much sin and rebellion because I've believed the lies of the world. I've given in to so much sin and rebellion because I've acted on the compulsions of my flesh that I know are contrary to, to the leading of the Spirit. And I've given in to so much rebellion and sinfulness because I have an enemy who hates me and who hates my flourishing in the Lord and who wants me to think about anything other than Christ's love and lordship um, towards me and over my life. Friends, When you remember that you are fighting enemies on three fronts, your posture of readiness will change. And it will drive you to prayer because you will start to realize that you need help. That you need help. We've just 
comforted ourselves away from the reality of any sort of opposition. And so we don't pray because we don't actually know we're in a fight. I have a close family member who's in the military, has served a number of terms in some of the most fraught and difficult combat zones around the world. And he doesn't like to talk about much, um, but I've spoken to him on a couple of occasions about what re-entry into society looks like after that. And one of the things he really struggles with, he says, is how to just humanize people again and not to view you as a threat. (laughs) He says, because where he was, everyone's a threat. And it's not always apparent. Often it's the ones who seem nicest to you, but you can't treat them as people being nice to you because they're a threat who want to kill you, right? And so that's a difficult thing. I can't get my head around that because I've never served in any of those uh, kind of situations, right? I can't imagine the fearfulness of everywhere you look, someone is trying to take you out, right? Except, friends, (laughs) that actually is the posture of the Christian life in a way. In that we have, not just outside of us, but within us, these forces that would seek to destroy our walk with God. And yet we walk like those who are in civilian life, protected by the comforts of whatever it is that we protect ourselves with. (sighs) Why do you keep looking at porn when you know you shouldn't? Because the world has lied to you about what sex and satisfaction and beauty and desire and connectedness to another person looks like. Because in your flesh you have failed to put to death the desires of lust that continue to give birth up into your heart and ask the Spirit to help you, right? And so over time you formed the habit in accordance with your flesh of following those worldly desires. And because you have an enemy who hates you and continually brings this stuff across your path and continues to promote an industry that keeps people in slavery for your own pleasure. He continues to do that because he's wicked and he hates you and he hates them and he hates your God. That's why. That's why. Why do you continue to gossip and slander when you know it's the opposite of what the Lord calls you to? Because the world has lied to you, right? In terms of what acceptance in a community looks like and what will guarantee it. Because your own flesh gets a a hit of satisfaction from the moment when you feel like you have some inside information on a person that makes you momentarily feel better than them because deep down you feel worse than them all the time. And because you have an enemy who hates you and who continues to bring these opportunities before you that dehumanizes you and dehumanizes the one that you're speaking about. That's why. So pray. (laughs) So pray. We're fighting the enemy on three fronts. All right. If you're going to pray more, you need to remember who God is. You need to remember who you are. You need to remember your real enemy. Lastly, if you're going to pray more in 2024... (laughs) you're going to need to remember that you don't actually know what to do next and you don't actually know where you should go next. (laughs) Men in the room, you're going to need to remember to ask for directions because you don't know the way home. You think you do, but you don't. Look at verse 8 with me quickly. Let's wrap this up. Verse 8. He says, let me experience your faithful love in the morning for I trust in you. Look at David, one of the wisest leaders, one of the the, the best military strategists who ever lived, right? He says, reveal to me the way I should go because I appeal to you. What is he saying? I don't know which way to go. You're going to have to show me. 
Now look what he says in verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me on level ground. What is he saying? You're going to have to show me what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go, and I don't know what to do. And so you're going to have to show me where to go, and you're going to have to show me what it looks like to do your will. And, and please, Lord, in your kindness, do that in a way that leads me on level ground where it's easy for me to understand and easy for me to follow. Now listen. I'm so guilty of this. Too many of us have such well-worn ruts of life plans before us and such well-developed maps of what we think flourishing must look like to be able to actually seriously engage God in prayer in this way. We can't come before him and say, I don't know where to go because we know where to go. We know where we think we'll find it. We can't come to him and say, I don't know what to do, because truth be told, we have all the plans in the world we think we know what to do. When was the last time, precious saint, (laughs) that you came before the Lord unhurried and just said, Lord, where should we go? Lord, what should we do? (laughs) Dangerous prayers. (laughs) Last time I did this, I moved continents. And so I I just, I pressed pause for a while, right? But Lord, may your gracious spirit, that spirit so full of grace, may that spirit lead me on level ground. Friends, do your plans for your life supersede (laughs) any kind of dependence on the Lord for guidance and for wisdom and for power? Okay. If those right beliefs, right? Belief about God, belief about ourselves, belief about our enemy, belief about the hope that we actually need from God. If those right beliefs would lead to more prayer, then how do we diagnose our current lack of prayer? How do we diagnose our prayerlessness? If right belief would get us to that, there must be some wrong belief that's getting us to the opposite outcome. And so this week I've been kind of processing this through. Lord, what lies do I believe that prevent me from coming in prayer? Instead of remembering God as faithful and righteous, do I remember him as cruel, tyrannical, judgy, off-handish, a bad and distant father. Oh, if you remember him as all those things, then, oh, a cruel taskmaster. No, no, you won't pray. Instead of remembering yourself rightly, perhaps you're remembering yourself too highly or too lowly. (laughs) Too highly because actually you think you've got it all together and you don't need this kind of help. Or too lowly because you think he won't hear you because you're such a mess. Ask him for a right view of yourself. Perhaps you failed to remember your enemy. You failed to remember that you actually live in some kind of spiritual war zone. (laughs) And so you don't pray. Or perhaps you failed to remember that you need direction. That God's plan for your life is going to be much better than yours. (laughs) And you need to be interruptible in those plans, in order to follow him where he'll go. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we normally do in church in the West, is I would close in prayer, say amen, we'd sing two songs, we'd go to Rudy's and do absolutely nothing. That was good, or that wasn't good. He should go back to notes, right? Uh, Like whatever it is, right? But it won't change anything in our spiritual formation. So I thought this morning, you know what we should do? This is going to sound wild. We should pray. We should pray. 
Now, some of you might be like, oh, is he about to put us in groups? No. No, that's okay. That's okay. I see you. I understand. All right. I see you looking for the nearest available exit there, there and there, right? Um, but what I would like to do is actually just give the spirit a moment um, for us to take these lessons that we've learned from David and bring them before the Lord and say, can I just apply this now in a way? And can you just hear me now? Can you meet with me now? All right. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to run through those four. I'm going to give you a little prayer prompt for each one. You're going to just pray it through for a minute. And then we'll sing some more and we'll be done, right? But please pray. <laughs> Wherever you are in your spiritual walk, some of you might be going, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. Great time to start praying, right? Some of you might go like, I've been in such rebellion. That's the best time to start praying. Woof, best time. Some of you might be like, I'm spiritually dry. So was he. What did he do? He told the Lord. He told the Lord. And he was heard. And the Lord answered. All right. Let's remember the faithfulness and righteousness of God. I'm going to give you a time to just remember God. Why don't you just look back in life and just thank God for how faithful he has been and how right he has been in everything. If you don't have examples from your own life, think across history. Just remember God in this moment. Why don't you just pause? Why don't you just pray? Remember God. Thank Him for His faithfulness and His righteousness. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. It's true. Now I want you to take a minute to just bring the reality of who you really are before the Lord. Just tell Him. Just come to Him in weakness, dependence. Tell Him where you're struggling. <laughs> tell Him where you're wrestling. Tell Him where you're disappointed. Just tell Him. Right view of self has fallen and needy and beloved. 